0: interesting symbolic individual in this painting is the dog. And the dog is asleep, and all of this chatter is going on, and the dog is still sleeping, and the uh, message is, let sleeping dogs lie.
1: I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today, we welcome docent Sue Schenkel from the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in Kansas City, Missouri. In addition to the audio component of this interview, we've created an online gallery of the art and books that are discussed. Visit rosiefund.org slash art or click the link in the episode description. If you're new to this podcast, in each episode we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We save each other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love Dog Words. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosyfund.org to share your thoughts. Thank you to everyone who's downloaded, subscribed, rated, and shared Dog Words. Now that you're a follower of the podcast, take the next step and become a participant. Let us know what you want to hear. Go to rosyfund.org and send suggestions for topics and guests. If you're affiliated with any organization that serves the community by helping dogs or dog owners, or if you're affiliated with any breed rescue organization, let us know if you'd be interested in being a guest on DogWords. You can contact us through rosiefund.org. You can come to our studio in Kansas City North, or depending on where you're located, we may be able to come to you. And everyone, please follow Rosie Fund on social media, especially the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel that offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and shelter dogs, including some exclusive content. We're inching closer to our subscriber goal that will give us the Rosie Fund URL on YouTube. If you don't know what that means, trust us that it will greatly help with exposure for Rosie Fund, which ultimately allows us to help more dogs. Just subscribe. It's free, and you will not be inundated with notifications from the channel. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today on Dog Words, we welcome Sue Schinkel to talk about dogs and art. Welcome to the show, Sue. Thank you. It's nice to be here. First off, how long have you been fascinated with art?
0: Well, my background was in nursing. I was a nurse and I taught nursing for 25 years. But the art thing came along kind of by accident. I mean, I've been interested in art. But uh, I had a friend who was a docent at the Nelson, and she talked me into taking the docent training, and so I have been a docent at the Nelson for 37 years. So definitely for 37 years, and sometime before that.
1: Lots of first-hand exposure to wonderful art. And as we're recording this, the Nelson is not open to us. When it is, I will share that on whatever podcast comes out after that date but certainly if you're in kansas city monitoring local news outlets that'll be a big deal we'll let everyone know and if you're not from kansas city it's worth coming to kansas city for the nelson yes
0: and we find that out when people come who are very familiar with world famous museums they go to the nelson and they say i didn't know this was here Mm -hmm. and they do have if you're online they do have virtual tours that you can take in the meantime I can't guarantee all the pieces I mentioned because they're a little obscure because I wanted ones with interesting dogs uh, would be on that tour, but some of them would be.
1: But again, something to look forward to when the Nelson opens to go see these wonderful works of art in person. So let's talk about dogs in art. We all love our dogs. We all have thousands of pictures on our phone of our dogs. My wife and I have socks with our dogs. <laughs>
0: I do, too. Faces on them. (laughs) Needlepoint socks hang on the fireplace with their pictures.
1: (laughs) As wonderful as those depictions of dogs may be, Mm -hmm. there's some that are probably a little more sophisticated, a little more artistic. Let's talk about those. When did people start depicting dogs in art?
0: Well, I have this wonderful book that's called 5,000 Years of the Dog in Art, but it's actually goes back further. There are some areas, particularly in the Middle East, where there were depictions of dogs on cave walls uh, a long time before that. And um, they uh, showed them doing some of the typical things that dogs might have been used for in the past. These early renditions were hunting dogs. Probably most people are familiar with the fact that they descended from wolves. And um, people used them uh, for all the things you might imagine that a wolf would be good to be used for, protection, uh, you know alertness, helping them hunt. And that was one of the earliest uh, uses of the dog. They were an assistance in hunting. There's a lot of uh, loyalty associated with dogs in art, but also the fact it became symbolic of faithfulness or fidelity, and that's where the name Fido. Dogs were often named Fido. It came from fidelity, so that was a wonderful trait that they had: their faithfulness, their alertness.
1: You have depictions of dogs going back eight thousand years, yes. showing them as loyal companions and have a a practical use, hunting mm-hmm. and protecting us. How did those depictions evolve?
0: In this other book, the five thousand years of of the dog in art, they try to associate there's a um, an Egyptian god called Anubis who is actually a jackal from my education in art that he's not a dog but he is a man with a jackal's head but it's pretty hard to tell a jackal from a dog when all you're looking at is the head mm-hmm. so that's okay I mean as long as because the Egyptians didn't say that he was a jackal they just came that way, but he was a really interesting god for the Egyptians because he was the one that led the person into the afterlife, which was so important. so he appears on many tombs and um, mummy cases and even the canoptic jars that they store the organs it 's part of mummification Has the head of a jackal on one of them and uh, so you could say that he was a, a could could be dog yeah.
1: and, <laughs> and they had many gods oh yes so yeah. for the one that is dog like to serve in that role mm-hmm. indicates that was a really important these are important
0: yeah my, many many of their important and we just our last big exhibition at the nelson before we closed in fact we weren't done doing it my last tour there was nefertari is a one of the um, goddesses and a wife of, a, of one of the pharaohs that was uh, this was artifacts from her time and um, Anubis appears all the time. Now, there's also a, a cat goddess, but she's nearly as important as as, the, as Anubis. But he could be, you know, uh, considered a dog. But the hunting dogs that are on the really early cave drawings is uh, a dog that looks very much like a dog that is still around today called a Canaan dog. And the, uh, the Canaan dog even is recognized by, well, first of all, the British Kennel Club and then the American Kennel Club. And that's another thing, breeds of dogs, early on it wasn't so important, but along the way, specific breeds of dogs began to be identified, partly through the American Kennel Club standards or the British Kennel Club.
1: So you have the Canaan as being one of the earliest clear depictions of this Mm -hmm. is a kind of breed, this is from from that region.
0: And that it was an animal that wasn't a tiger or a wolf or other, you know, because we don't know what their intent was when they were doing these drawings on caves. And that was when they were etched into stone, so they're still there. But often this Canaan-like dog had perked ears and had a curly tail. And that's different than, you know, you'd see with other animals. Mm -hmm. So that makes it pretty much a dog. And then um, later, the dog became a subject matter in paintings because of the symbolism. For instance, a marriage couple might have a little dog showing faithfulness in their fidelity in their marriage. Mm -hmm. Or even sometimes widows would be painted with a dog in their lap saying they were still faithful to, uh, you know, their marriage vows. There were other things, I can mention some at the Nelson that dogs symbolized other things in their relationship to people.
1: Such as?
0: Well, one of the uh, first ones I wanted to mention, and, and people who have been to the Nelson might remember this, it's called The Marriage at Canaan by Ricci. It's an Italian painting from the 18th century, and it's a famous painting about... Uh, the biblical story of water being turned into wine at the marriage feast. But it's interesting when you look at all the people in the image, the one who seems to know that it's happening is the dog. He's standing Mm -hmm. next to the barrel, looking at the water turning into wine. And there are a few kind of People looking because the dog's looking, they look too. But it's that alertness and the sense of there's something going on here that's important that I've noticed, and that's what dogs are known
1: for. We've always known that they're intuitive.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always thought that was a good one. There's another one that happens to be this faithfulness or fidelity, A very typical. uh, This is a French painting of a lady with a little lap dog. We see him all the time. There's several paintings like this in the Nelson.
1: And she looks wealthy or aristocratic. Oh
0: yes, yeah. And uh, it's actually a portrait of Madame Ferrat of Hericourt, long name. It dates back to the 1700s and She was a known wealthy widow with her little dog there saying, I'm still faithful to my marriage vows. Mm -hmm. That was the symbol of putting the dog in. I always think this little dog looks protective. It's like, don't bother her. Mm -hmm. I'm right here. I'm going
1: to, you know. He he has kind of a stern look on his face and one paw draped over her her arm. And
0: she's just, you know, completely She looks
1: perfectly relaxed. Um,
0: (laughs) And then there's another one that I think is kind of fun in our American collection that we have. And I love it because of the name of it. It's called Paul, Marcella, and Van Gogh. And it's by Paul Maltzner. And this is in the American collection. It's a a more recent painting. It was done in 1937. We know who Paul is. He's not shown as a painter, but that's what he was. He's shown holding a hammer. And he loved carpentry and people at work. The lady in the picture is actually one of his models, and uh, she's Marcella. And so, who is the dog? It's Van Gogh. <laughs> and,
1: so we, and the dog is in the foreground. Fore, they're oh, yeah. they're yeah. actually a frame or two behind the dog.
0: That's right. And it's just an endearing picture of this artist's companion, that he's featured the dog as a major part of his
1: self-portrait. And it's... Not a whimsical self-portrait. It's in a what I would describe Seriously. as a regional style. Mm-hmm. And those who are familiar with Thomas Hart Benton, it mm-hmm. looks like some of his work. It's right. So in the, in back- the background, room. there there's industry, there's smokestacks, In a, another painting that clearly he's working on in his studio, even though he's holding a hammer instead yeah. of a paintbrush. There's a painting in the background. So it's not just this frivolous, I'm going to paint my friend and my dog. He's making a statement uh-huh. that this is who I am, right. this is what's important to me. Right.
0: And he's actually holding a frame, and the frame on the picture is one that he made. That happens every now and then, that there's an artist who's good with wood, and they make the frames uh, for mm-hmm. their their paintings. So that one's another fun one. And probably my favorite of all of them that has a lot of symbolism is one that's up all the time. We never take it down because everybody loves it. It's very appropriate right now because it's called Canvassing for the Vote, and it's by George Caleb Bingham. Mm -hmm. And it's a scene done in Arrow Rock, Missouri, and the building in the picture is called the Inn at Arrow Rock, or the Tavern, and the Tavern is still there. It's still a, a restaurant. You can go there. And there are all kinds of symbolism in it, you know, and we talk about particularly to children on uh, school tours, about what was involved in elections. And this was done in 1852, which was a very important election because it's prior to Lincoln's time, but not much. And George Caleb Bingham, the artist, was a politician. And he was going to run for Missouri House. And his opponent, who has this wonderful name, he uh, is Erasmus Darwin Sappington. He went by Darwin, but the Sappington House is a famous house in Arrow Rock. And, uh, but that
1: sounds like a Dickens character. Oh,
0: he was. I mean, he was just so interesting. But Bingham didn't like him because he was his opponent always in elections. Sappington was a Democrat, but Bingham was a Whig. There wasn't a Republican Party yet, and, and Lincoln started out as a Whig. So this is the Whig Democrat election, but the big issue in the election in Missouri was slavery, and so uh, you didn't know who you were talking to, and you, you'd go out and, and stump speak. There's a stump in here, mm-hmm. which we love. A literal and, stump. Well, and, and the horse is backed up to the politician, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? who's not Bingham. Yes. He is Yes, yeah. the, the end
1: of the horse that and, is nearest yeah. that politician is yeah. symbolic.
0: Yes, and, and all the men, rep- well only the men are represented there's no women because women didn't have a vote yet there are uh, people with property who can vote there's a man you, can't you can tell see. by their
1: attire that yes. they're yes
0: i think their hats tell you a lot mm-hmm. just the uh the politician has a tall hat on and and then the the wealthy landowner he has kind of a very nice felt hat and then this is the blacksmith at the back and they still have the blacksmith shop in Arrowrock it's it's like the Midwestern version of Williamsburg. It's what it looked like in the 1800s in Missouri, and they try to maintain that to this day. And then the the old man in the center is kind of, I've heard all this before, I'll listen, but I've already moved Mm -hmm. my mind. But the real interesting symbolic individual in this painting is the dog. And the dog is asleep, and all of this chatter is going on, and the dog is still sleeping, and the uh, message is, "Let sleeping dogs lie. Don't bring up slavery because you might lose a vote mm-hmm. among these other three possible voters. You don't want to mention it because it was a hot topic.
1: So yes, yeah, let sleeping dogs lie. let's get elected. And then, then we can do take it. Care of
0: it.: And actually, Bingham, it was interesting. He won the election by three votes, but Sappington was so powerful that he had a recount and those three votes somehow, somehow got found lost. enough and you didn't it wasn't a written vote it was an, you voted by saying who you were voting for and you know there was a lot of mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of things going so many of Bingham's pictures deal with politics so he lost the election which he actually won but then the next time the election came up he ran against him and Bingham won so it uh, uh,
1: well it's you know, also interesting the use of light the The three Mm -hmm. sort of main characters you describe the wealthy landowner, and and, and they're lit. The blacksmith is just behind them, Mm -hmm. sort of in shadow. Mm -hmm. The dog is in light and in shadow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the only character that is one or the other, because even the horse is in full shadow. Sure. You could easily miss that the horse is there.
0: Well, and there's another man behind that you can't see very well in this my part Mm book. If you're there looking at the painting, you see him. And he's looking in the tavern to see if it's open. but he Which is
1: much more interesting than this conversation.
0: Well, and he has a hat on that was very typical of Irish immigrants coming. It was a kind of like a bowler hat mm-hmm. that they wore and probably couldn't vote. Probably didn't mm-hmm. have a vote yet. So, yeah, this conversation doesn't property. matter to me. Yeah, I'm more
1: interested in when the tavern opens. But it's, yeah, it's showing the dog or that issue uh-huh. is important, but it's also partly in shadow, partly in light.
0: yeah. And that Bingham would bring up that. I mean, he makes an important part mm-hmm. by making the sleeping dog lying there. He didn't have to put mm-hmm. the dog in there at all. Because
1: there's a lot going on in that painting that yeah. if you'd left the dog out, you wouldn't say, well, something's missing, but it, it's yeah. an important element.
0: It is. It's interesting. Another thing at the Nelson that we've all loved for years, one of the first gifts to the Nelson after it opened was what we call the Burnap Collection. And the Burnett collection is a collection of English stoneware and pottery from early on when it was deeded to the Nelson, there was a deed written that it always had to be shown together. They couldn't take a piece out and put it in another part of the museum, and nothing else could be put in with the it was a lovely gift, and we still we have one of the finest collections of English stoneware. but in the hallway. Uh, by the elevator, just as you go into the Burnham Collection, are these two hounds, and it's a male and female hound, and they actually have collars on that identify who they are, and you can't tell from this picture in the uh, catalog, but there's an opening in their back. They're like flower pots. They're big, big flower pots. They think they could have sat by a fireplace with like a, a large palm mm-hmm. or some kind of a big plant in them. But they're so interesting, and everybody loves them. And uh, it's a type of stoneware that was kind of unique at its time. It's called salt glazing. And when they'd salt glaze instead of lead glazing, it made little sort of porous like uh, what they look like an orange peel in the finish mm-hmm. on them so the finish on them looks almost like skin you know it's kind of fun and um, it's just they've always been favorites and they're
1: shiny because they're stoneware but they're yeah. also so lifelike with the expressive mm-hmm. faces and just kind of the, the way the the mouths hang their jowls mm-hmm. hang that whoever crafted this either loved these dogs or was doing it for someone who loved their dogs and the crafts person knew I have to represent these dogs in a way that captures yes. the love that this person has for those dogs. Well, and, and we
0: don't even know. We think they're from about 1724 because the date on the collars on the dogs. So that gives us a date. But there was a place where a lot of ceramics were made in England at that time, and it was called Fulham. And so they're probably from the factory at Fulham, but we don't know who the artist was that formed these dogs. But it's just unique to have, you know, two dog two oh, they're probably about two feet tall. I mean they're not a little little flower They're substantial, yes. They're substantial and big enough to stand next to a fireplace if that's what they were used for. Well, we don't know that and uh, it's just fun and everybody, they're so used to seeing them. They're the two dogs on either side of the entrance into the Burnap collection. So uh, there's certain things at the Nelson that always stay up just because people like them. Then mm-hmm. we change paintings. Like for instance, um, the painting with Van Gogh, the dog, that comes and goes. It isn't always up. Canvassing for a Vote by Bingham is almost always up because it's one of his notable pieces. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, one of the ways Bingham made money as an artist, he, he was truly a starving artist most of his career, but he did paintings that he made lithographs from and then sold the lithographs. That's how he made money. And that was the intent of that painting, which also says he wanted that message getting out to the people mm-hmm. about elections. But there was a French company that he sent these lithographs to France to be made, and they're still in business today. And I went to a birthday party for George Caleb Bingham, his 200th birthday. Or <laughs> I think it was maybe, I can't remember. That's a what. lot of candles. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know. Maybe it, was, it couldn't have been 200th, I guess. But anyway, it was a major birthday event, and they had it in Arrow Rock at the Sappington House, which I thought was fun, too. It's but, certainly appropriate. Well, well, I mean, part of the party was there. But they were selling lithographs of that painting, of a couple of them, but of his really well-known paintings. So I bought one. It was made by the same company. Wow. And I had it framed and gave it to my grandson, who was in um, college at Purdue. But in the meantime, my grandson was interested in politics. He was a uh, intern for Senator Durbin. He's from mm-hmm. Illinois. And yeah, Dick Durbin. Springtime. Yeah, Dick Durbin. And so uh, Eddie was his intern. And so Eddie got elected to the city council in West Lafayette, where Purdue is, mm-hmm. Indiana. So he was a college student, a, a politician, and, you know, doing all these things. So I thought it was a very appropriate picture for his Mm -hmm. room and they still have it hanging he he has it in his
1: office he he lives in chicago
0: now he's not a politician he's a software
1: (laughs) guy he got an honest job yeah
0: yeah he did but anyway i thought that was such a favorite painting and he he remembered me taking him to the nelson to see it and pointing out the dog in it and uh, he likes dogs well he likes cats even better i don't i Something slipped and genetically, there and he has cats.
1: Well, everyone has their <laughs> skeletons in the closet, that's so that's true. your family's that's hidden true. hidden shame is that he's yeah. a cat person. But we'll we'll let it slide since yeah. he has the. There's a, a
0: couple more things I wanted to mention. Another art form, and of course, on this <laughs> podcast you can't see it, but the Japanese make little creatures called netskis, and they are they always have two holes in the bottom. And people collect them. In fact, there's a wonderful book about Netskis called The Hair with Amber Eyes. It's a wonderful book. It's about Vienna and World War II and the family collected Netskis. They're used like a toggle on a cord on a man's kimono. Kimonas have no pockets. So mm-hmm. you needed a way to carry a pouch for your money and things you carry with you. So they would have this cord that went around their waist and to keep it tied, they would slide the part of the cord up, and it was often in the shape of a little animal. And sometimes they had to do with uh, symbolic creatures, but a dog was a favorite one of them. And this dog that I have, a, this is not a real netsuke. Real netsukes are made of ivory, and, of course, we don't make them anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, this was a, a kind of dog, much like a, a type of Japanese dog, and so little Netskis, and, and, of course, I have a little collection of non-ivory Netskis that are nearly as collectible, but the Nelson used to sell them in their gift shop, and so I bought every different one I could find, and I think I have about 12 of them, something like that, but the dog, that's what a Nets And eat. it's a
1: this one is a dog lying down with it puppy mm-hmm. curled up next to it it's just mm-hmm. adorable
0: yeah it's very cute and uh, and it's not an akita but it's a, a kind of japanese dog i can't remember the breed that would have been familiar and sometimes the dogs are little lapdog types but this is a bigger dog mm-hmm. you can tell and it's just fun and uh, it's one of the kinds of ways of art that dogs were showing occur. and even
1: in this small piece it has a substantial collar with a bell mm-hmm. on the collar. Mm-hmm. The, the attention to detail, yeah, and grooves like you were talking about with the salt casting on mm-hmm. the stoneware. Mm-hmm. That there's a texture to it that suggests fur on the dog.
0: He looks a little bit like the dogs in the stoneware. We just enter his fa- head, but anyway, and that was shown in in this uh, five thousand years of the dog in art because they tried to talk about different kinds of dogs that different ways of portraying dogs, but I came across a friend of mine who's been a dozen at the Nelson for over 50 years. Uh, Her name is Lee Pentecost. She gave me this strange picture one time of a a creature. It's a, a saint with a dog's head, and it's Saint Christopher, which I didn't know that, so I'm going through this book, And there there he is in the dogs over that. And and it said how rare it was the dog-headed St. Christopher. Well, I I knew the story of St. Christopher. He was a a giant. Well, people know him. He hangs in cars Mm -hmm. protecting people traveling. But the story about St. Christopher was that he found a baby, a a little child, wanting to cross a river and he picked up the baby and put it on his shoulder and walked across the river with a stick so he could find the shallowest place to cross mm-hmm. and took the child to the other side stuck the stick in the ground and it leafed out into a palm and that was sort of this message that the child he had carried and that's the word the word christopher means the bearer of christ so he took that name as his sainthood but i thought it was interesting he came from libya originally north africa And for some reason, the first explorers in that region of Africa said that the people there had heads of dogs. Now, how that happened, I don't know. It seems like kind of a stretch. (laughs) Strange, yeah, had the heads of dogs. So anyway, he was early on portrayed as a dog headed saint and it's this very same picture it's on this kind of masonite material it's very interesting yeah. and it's
1: not a dog-like head it is no. a dog head dog head. and then the rest of the body is yeah. the way you would yeah expect a saint to be depicted yeah. in a middle ages painting yeah. late middle ages that it's it's colorful and it's robes he's carrying a jeweled yeah. crucifix and, and, and has human feet, human hands.
0: And it's the very same depiction in this book, mm-hmm. which I, I was so startled, because I used to think he was kind of odd. I didn't I didn't know where to put him. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I had him out
1: on the porch. And wondering, is this really supposed to be St. Christopher? Yeah, or?
0: because, like,
1: for instance, at the
0: Nelson, they have a French plate, or I think it's French, anyway, with a man mm-hmm. <laughs> as St. Christopher, which you usually see, and that's the story but I've never seen this one and then when I read about it it said it was a rare but common thing and it went way way back in in early times but supposedly St. Christopher was martyred in 308 so that tells you where, where they were in history with it but um
1: and so not painted by someone who actually saw him (laughs) So he might not have looked like a dog.
0: I think probably he didn't. But, you know, you never know what you can do. One last thing that Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell about, because it has a connection to Kansas City, and it's an art form. David Douglas Duncan was a famed photographer. He just died recently. He was 103 years old. He was the famous photographer. He went to Bryant School in Kansas City, Missouri. He carried a camera with him into the military. He happened to be on the battleship Missouri when they signed the Treaty of World War II. Mm -hmm. He was a friend of de Gaulle. He took all the famous pictures of de Gaulle. And he was a friend of Picasso's. And any picture you've seen in the last years of Picasso's life, David Douglas Duncan took those pictures. He was just magnificent. And uh, anyway, the people who built my house, Bill and Mary Grant, Bill went to kindergarten with David Douglas Duncan. They were good friends, and they were the same age. So they were in Provence. Um, Douglas lived in Provence and went out to dinner with them. And while they were there, uh, David Douglas Duncan had this dog named Yo-Yo. And Yo-Yo had a longer name, Yankee something. Uh, They left him in the car because the dog was asleep and it was in cool weather. And so they went in a restaurant, and while they were there... Somebody stole the dog out of the car. And it turned out later it was gypsies. They didn't want to steal the dog. They didn't know this was a famous person that they could probably get a... They found that out later. But anyway, Yo-Yo was missing, and they were just distraught over the loss of Yo-Yo. So he was so well-known in France. I mean, they always called him the photographer of Picasso and all of these names. So he calls the prime minister of France and said, My dog is missing. And he painted. Uh, um, it's who you know. Yeah, yeah. He made a poster of Yo-Yo. Now he had a lot of photographs of because that's what he does. But they posted this all over. It was on the news. It was in the newspapers everywhere about famous photographer's dog is missing, and everybody in France is looking for Yo-Yo. Well, they found him, and uh, the whatever the counterpart of the FBI in France. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, help recover him, and they got him back from the gypsies. Nothing had been done to him. Uh, they did try to, after they the, the gypsy group saw the posters and thought maybe we could get a reward if we gave this dog back, so they arranged that. But anyway, they, they caught them, and the dog was returned. Well, it became just a big story mm-hmm. in France. So, of course, David Douglas Duncan wrote a book called Yo-Yo Kidnapped in Provence, and it's a darling story about... How when you put together everybody in a country, including the prime minister, you, you get results. <laughs> you
1: accomplish anything. And we've been talking about dogs in art from the earliest depictions with caves and sculpture and stoneware and paintings up to photography. And mm-hmm. the photographs in this book are just oh, amazing of this dog. Darling. This guy's obviously a, a <laughs> talented and skilled photographer. Yeah. But Yo-Yo in Provence. I don't know if this is available on Amazon, but if it is, I will link that in the That's description. That's
0: where I got it. I think, actually, Bill Grant told me about the book, the, the, his friend, who is still alive. I think he's 105 or something.
1: <laughs> he has seen a lot.
0: <laughs> and um, it's not a real recent book, but it wasn't too long ago. But and, if it's still on and, Amazon, well, yeah. I'll link
1: that, and people can click through and use their yeah Amazon and, smile and okay. also be contributing to Rosie Fund by yeah. getting this wonderful book. Yeah, Book.
0: I think I bought a copy for my grandchildren because uh, it just is so sweet, you know, about it, uh, He was missing for 50 days, wow. so it was quite a while, but they did get him back, and he was a well-known little dog that <laughs> everybody knew, but it uh, is another art form of dogs. So,
1: And they're, they're so important to us. It's not surprising that we have this long history of showing our affection and appreciation for dogs through our art. Again, I will let everyone know, if they don't find out on their own, when we can go back to the Nelson and see these wonderful works that Sue has described to us. And when I do that, come back and listen to this episode again and refresh your memory, and then go to the Nelson. There's so much to enjoy there. We look forward to returning to the Nelson. Sue, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and hosting us in your lovely home. It's or just out here on your sunroom, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you again to Docent Sue Schenkel from the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art for joining us. If you haven't already done so, check out the gallery for this episode at rosiefund.org slash art. There's a link in the description for this episode. If you purchase any of the books we reference, please consider using Amazon Smile, and choosing Rosie Fund as the charity that benefits from your order. Go to smile.amazon.com for details, or use the Amazon link at rosiefund.org. I also want to thank alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Learn more about The Wires at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Also, check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play the fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Be sure to catch the next episode of Dog Words when we visit with Dr. Laura Plass of Community Veterinary Outreach. As always, please download, subscribe, rate, and share Dog Words. This helps us with sponsorships. Then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Support Rosie Fund by following us on social media and please subscribe to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions at rosiefund.org and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor of the Dog Words podcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, we save each other.